The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Five, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open there to Proverbs chapter 25. We're looking at verses 1 through 14 this afternoon. Proverbs chapter 25, beginning in verse 1, reading through verse 14. Let's give our attention now to God speaking to us in His Word. These also are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search things out. As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. Take away the dross from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence, or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you or your ill repute have no end. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Like cold of snow in the harvest or in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not have. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. May he be pleased to add his blessing to it. Well, there are some things in life that are just fitting. It is fitting to honor those who have served in the military, to recognize our fallen heroes, to have a proper burial for them. It is fitting to dress up for special occasions, such as a wedding or a funeral. But it would not be fitting to dress that way and going to the beach, vice versa. To dress the way you would go to the beach at a funeral or a wedding. It would not be fitting to have a cake that said at a wedding, sorry for your loss. Although some best men might do that as a joke. Or to have a wedding cake at a funeral. Part of wisdom is recognizing what is fitting. That is, what is maximally appropriate at any given situation. And this is what our passage touches on today, things that are fitting. And what I want us to see from our passage are three things that wisdom makes fitting. They are knowledge, gifts, and words. So first, knowledge. 
we begin with part of the process for how God communicates holy knowledge to us by his word, verse 1. These are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. So this marks a new section in the book of Proverbs. This section was put together by these men of Hezekiah, official servants in King Hezekiah's court. Hezekiah reigned about 250 years after Solomon. And so what likely happened is that the 3,000 Proverbs that Solomon spoke, according to 1 Kings 4.32, was in a library which housed important records for the king. And later on, these men of Hezekiah collected these and put them as part of the book of Proverbs. And here we see the process of how God's word came to us. God uses human instruments when it comes to bringing his word to us, of course, by his sovereign spirit. Now, we don't know how the whole book of Proverbs was put together. Neither do we know if this is similarly how the book of Kings or the book of Chronicles put together. Obviously, somebody had to put it together when the history of the kings concluded. But what we see here is we see a glimpse of how God brings us holy knowledge. He does it through human instrumentation. Sometimes he tells us how it comes about, like here. Other times he does not. Regardless, we do know that God works through human instrumentation. And even when we don't know exactly how he brought it about through the human instrument, we do trust our sovereign God who works out all things according to his sovereign spirit. Jesus and the apostles quote the Old Testament and even the book of Proverbs, even this chapter, as the holy word of God. The first proverb we read pertains to the knowledge of the divine king versus that of a human king. We see this in verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search things out. And here what we see is the distinction between the creator and the creature. Really something that we have to better understand in our day. One of the main distinctions between the creator and the creature is knowledge. Whereas human kings need to search things out because there are things that are still hidden to them. God does not need to search anything out because nothing is hid from him. The only thing God is said to do here is conceal things. Because God is infinite, which means he is not limited in any way, he does not learn anything. God is infinite, meaning there are no boundaries that keep God out, so to speak. Whether it be space, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere present. Or time, God is not confined to any particular point in history because He is eternal. He has duration without succession. His life is not confined or contained in any moment of time where He has His existence moment by moment. Rather, He has His existence all at once. There are no boundaries on God's power. He is omnipotent. He does not grow weary. 
neither is he prevented from doing anything. Neither is there a boundary on his knowledge, as we see here. God is omniscient. God does not learn anything, but rather knows absolutely everything about everything in a single act. Without having first considered, studied, or learned whereby he would have gained some knowledge that he did not have before, as if he would increase in knowledge. God, being eternal, infinite, and perfect, does not grow or increase by the very definition of those words, and neither does he decrease. God does not have what he has mediated through the creation, mediated through creaturely experience. God is who he is regardless of whether or not creation exists. The I Am has all that He has, knowledge, power, love, righteousness in and of Himself, and is not derived through experiencing creation like the creation does. And so God's knowledge does not increase. God's knowledge is perfect. Rather, He conceals things. Now, It is true that by virtue of God being infinite and we being finite, we can never know God the way he knows himself. The infinite can never be contained by the finite. We only know God finitely and through finite things. However, there are also things that God wills not to reveal to us that remains a mystery. God conceals things. Sometimes we think that We have a right to know everything. But that is not the case. You see this with Job. Job wondered at why he suffered. And yet God did not tell him what he was up to. Rather, God appealed to the creator-creature distinction. Where were you when I created all things? In perfect wisdom, he concealed it from him. But nevertheless, Job did not need to have this knowledge in order to trust God and be satisfied. Now, while it is the glory of the King of Kings to conceal things, he learns nothing. It is the glory of human, the human king to search things out. It's good for him to study and learn, to use his abilities and authority to search things out and grow. You know, when we talk about someone who's uneducated, that's usually a derogatory term. It's usually not a good thing. Well, God is uneducated. Nobody has ever taught him anything. He did not learn anything. Therefore, it's his glory to conceal things. But the king, the human king, needs to be educated in his glory to pursue that. It's his glory to diligently search out things especially when it comes to rendering a judgment in a matter. Because the king has the ability to, and because the more knowledge the better, it is his glory to search things out, to grow in knowledge. But this is where we see the difference between the king and the people. Verse 3, As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. So just like reaching the heavens above or digging to the middle of the earth is not attainable, 
So it is trying to figure out the heart of a king, his motives, his intentions, what he is up to. This is not because the king has a great and large heart. It's just because the people don't have access to this. Whereas the king does have access and authority to search things out. And this is even true with our form of government today. We really don't know the motives and intentions of our leaders, why they do what they do, what exactly they're up to. We often don't have access to them. How many of us have been able to just call the president up on the phone and ask him, hey, what's going on? Oftentimes, because we're all sinners, their motives are really not good or for the best of the people, despite what they say and promise. And so this is why we must be in prayer for them. We must use our access to the King of Kings who is able to move in the hearts of our leaders. A second thing that wisdom makes fitting is gifts. That is skills, abilities, talents that we have. Verses 4 through 5. Take away the dross from the silver and the smith has material for a vessel. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king and his throne will be established in righteousness. So just as the smith is to take away the dross, those unworkable impurities, in order to establish his work, so the king is to do the same, to take away the wicked, the spiritual impurities, so to speak, in order to establish his throne. Removing the sinful impurities from his kingdom establishes his kingdom in righteousness, because that is how a kingdom is established. By righteousness. Wickedness is what decays things. And this is also true for the kingdom of God. This is why Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Thankfully, this is what Christ has promised us in the covenant of grace. Not only does He provide us with a righteousness not of our own, an imputed righteousness, a righteousness we get credit for, He also provides us with an imparted righteousness called sanctification. God is the one who sanctifies and He is the one who is at work in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure by His Spirit. And this as a consequence causes us to put off sin, to cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable. and gives us great motivation and encouragement towards this end. Now, we are warned not to boast in ourselves or place confidence in our gifts. Verses 6 through 7. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. So in the context of a monarchy, it's special to stand in the king's place, to stand in his presence, in his, in his palace. And so this may cause this one to be overconfident, to want to exalt his gifts, and to move to an honorable place, the seat closest to the king. But the proverb here warns against this and appeals to shame as a reason. If you're told before others to move to a lower seat, you'll be shamed. 
Jesus also appeals to this proverb in the Gospels with the same reasoning. I think there's two application points we could take away from this. First, do not be overconfident in yourself. This is a problem, especially in the millennial and subsequent generations. One of the issues that that managers are facing today is this constant need of millennials to have their gifts affirmed and recognized. Uh, They also easily move on because they don't feel valuable or important enough. They believe they are automatically entitled to this high seat without effort. But this should not be our attitude. We should not place this overconfidence in our gifts. Rather, and this is the second application point, we should wait for our gifts to be recognized by others. This proverb says that instead of putting ourselves forward or expecting a high status, we are to be wait, we are to wait to be told, come up here. Now, there's not a promise that's going to happen, but if it does happen, it should not be done by our own self-exaltation, our own demand to be recognized. Rather, we wait for the recognition of others on our gifts. This does not mean that we can't put together a resume that makes us look favorable or state our gifts during a job interview, but we are to let others recognize and judge our gifts rather than exalting ourselves and demanding honor. And this is because we do tend to have an inflated view of ourselves and think we are more gifted than we actually are, which brings us down to verse 14, where it says, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not have. This proverb is using a picture of clouds without precipitation. So clouds come over and it seems like it's going to rain, but the only thing that it does is blow wind. It's like the weather here. Oh, yes, it's going to snow. It's going to rain. Nope, it's just going to blow. It's like the promise of much-needed rain from a cloud, but it doesn't actually produce. And this is the way it is with the one who boasts in himself. I'm going to do this, but he doesn't produce. It could be that he just thinks more highly of himself, that he's greater than he actually is, or he could just be a liar. We are to instead be humble and allow others to recognize and judge our gifts rather than boasting in ourselves. But nevertheless, we are to seek to be faithful and useful. Verse 13, like the cold of snow... In the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. So the harvest time that this is referring to is the wheat harvest during the month of June. It's a very hot month. This is when the sun is at its greatest strength and where people would be at work out in the sun all day long. And so you can imagine the relief that a snowstorm would bring in the midst of this. Now, this doesn't happen, but what this is saying is the relief that snow would bring in the midst of this intense heat is the relief that this one is experiencing with a faithful messenger. This is not referring to the message that the messenger brings because The one who has relief is not the one receiving the message, but rather the one who is sending the messenger. 
And so what this is referring to is that he is relieved in the faithfulness of his messenger. Back then, a messenger is extremely important. If you wanted to have good relationships, uh, it really was dependent upon the messenger, how he would convey the message, if he would convey the message accurately. But this one has no need to worry because his messenger is faithful. And what this is showing us is that we should be the type of people that can be relied upon, that are faithful, that don't falsely boast in our gifts, but rather are faithful and can be counted on. A third thing that wisdom makes fitting words, verses 7b through 8. What your eyes have seen do not hastily bring into court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? This is referring to rushing to judgments based on initial appearances. This proverb assumes that you will lose and be put to shame if you base judgments on initial appearances. You do not have a good case if you hastily rush into court based on initial appearances and limited information rather than waiting for the facts to come out. Judgments that are rushed are usually wrong. And in a court setting, it is only setting you up for losing and for shame. The proverb calls us to take a different approach, verses 9 through 10. Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you, and your ill repute have no end. So if you can avoid going to court and making a public spectacle out of this, then you should do so. And this might be bringing it into the, the public sphere. So back then they didn't have a courtroom. Uh, it was elders at the city gate where you would bring cases to. Sometimes the reason someone would do this is it might be a crafty way to spread gossip about someone. That's why this says, do not reveal another secrets. Like, ah, I want to expose this person, so I'm going to take them to court and spread this bad report among them. I may not win, but at least everyone gets to hear how horrible this person is. And sometimes, as pastors, will experience this when it seems like that somebody just wants to come and tell us a bad report just to get us to go against that person. And so the approach that this proverb is calling us to take is to just go to this person himself and seek to work it out with him rather than trying to spread a bad report to others. Now, there's times when you need to involve others, and that's completely legitimate as long as it is with the correct motives. If not, your repute, your ill repute, will have no end. You will be the one ending up having a bad reputation that won't go away. And our words need to be spoken in great wisdom. Verse 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Now, golden apples might be referring to a type of apple that was golden in color, that was delicious, that would look very beautiful when set on a silver platter. Or it might be referring to jewelry that are in the shape of 
an apple that's gold color arranged in silver settings. We're just not quite sure. But the basic point is that its arrangement is well thought out and beautifully presented. And this is something that men are not good at generally in life, the way things are presented. You look at a bachelor pad. It looks like a prison cell until they get married and their home actually starts to look nice. Uh, they tend not to care so much about the presentation of something, generally speaking, of course. And what this is saying here is don't be like a bachelor when it comes to your words. Consider how you present your words. May it be presented well and beautifully. We can have a tendency sometimes to just say something without consideration for the other person. Maybe just tell it like it is. Just let them have it. And then when they get offended, say, well, it's just because the person doesn't like the truth. It has nothing to do with me, of course. There are times that we are going to have to say things that people don't want to hear and aren't going to like it no matter how we put it. But we are to put things and present things well. That meets the occasion. We are to consider that. And wisdom helps us in this. And then how wonderful it is when it is met with a receiving ear. Verse 12. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. So a ring or ornament of gold is referring to two things. One, something that's rare. And two, something that is precious. And indeed, it is rare and precious when these two things here in Proverbs 25.12 come together. A wise reprover and a listening ear. It's very common for at least one of these things to be lacking. The reprover just lets them have it. Does not consider how he or she is coming across. Not presenting the truth beautifully. Or the one on the receiving end gets offended and responds to being defensive, justifying him or herself, blame-shifting, goes on the attack. Oh, you're confronting me and my sin? This is a perfect opportunity for me to talk about your sin right now. But how rare and precious it is to have a wise reprover, not just a reprover, a wise reprover. He presents words like gold apples and silver setting. Speak to a receptive ear and humbly and gratefully hears and receives correction. But the only way this is truly possible is by the Gospel. Why would someone hammer another with the law without grace except that they have a legal and self-righteous spirit? Grace is still strange or fuzzy to them, not as clear to them. But the law, with its thunder and calls to just do it and get it right, or be struck with guilt, resonates most with their heart. And why would someone who is carrying the weight of their guilt, plagued with condemnation, feeling the accusation of the law, Sensing their failure to measure up. Not wanting to admit their lack of righteousness. 
want to hear anything wrong about themselves, which is what correction implies. Therefore, they respond with trying to justify themselves. They're already feeling criticized. They're already feeling accused by the law, and so they need to justify themselves, especially when they hear correction. They need to relieve their guilty conscience by blame shifting, placing the blame on someone else or something else. Desperately trying to deny that they lack any righteousness or that they have any fault and defend themselves against all the accusations, something that their conscience has been plaguing them with anyway. And so oftentimes the focus is on others' faults because they don't want to deal with their own. And it's a way to even deal with their guilty conscience. Well, others are guilty. Let me focus on them. But when both the reprover and the recipient are drenched in the gospel of grace, then they are able to speak with grace and hear with grace. The reprover knows that he or she is a great sinner and has greatly offended God, but has been shown great forgiveness and grace. And because he or she treasures that grace, they are able to deal with others in grace. And so he speaks grace with the mercy and kindness shown to him in Christ. For it was not harshness that led them to repentance, but God's kindness that led them to repentance. And the one who is corrected knows that their righteousness is not based on their works, their behavior, trying to measure up, trying to deal with accusations. They know that all the accusations against them has been dealt with by Christ standing accused for them in their place. And so they rely on the one who bore all their condemnation and has forever removed it, and that they have been clothed with the radiant and beautiful robes of Christ's righteousness, so that their status does not change before God, even when they see their sin. Their status before God does not change. Their obedience, whether good or bad, is not their identity. So they do not need to measure up or be afraid of not measuring up. Be afraid of criticism. Therefore, both can reprove with grace and hear with grace, being thankful for the perfect righteousness and merits of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do ask that we would be these wise reprovers and also willing to hear when we are reproved. We ask that you would give us wisdom that helps us make everything we do fitting for your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.